Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special weekend mailbag edition with a surprise. Andrew doesn't know this one yet. This episode is going to be released at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning. So if you look at your podcast machine and we're there early, we are there early because you asked for it. I asked you a couple of weeks ago. We had one listener who said, I'd like it earlier, please. You know what? We are nothing if not here to please our listeners. We are men of the people. We are servants of the greater good. We are people who just simply like to, uh, well, do what we're told, not get in trouble. So we are going to release this podcast early and make sure, we'll see if you like it. If you don't, we'll put it back. But otherwise, you got this one early. So either well done or sorry about that or something in between. But thank you for asking. Thank you for those who gave some feedback as well. We hope you will. Um, if, if you like getting in a bit earlier, we hope this will make your Sunday morning a little more interesting. I you say do know, you do okay. know You do know that with a podcast, you can listen to it when you want, right? Yeah, but a lot of listeners want to get it so they can go for their walk on Sunday morning and listen to the podcast. Yeah, but those who don't can just listen to it when it's convenient. But if they don't get it on Sunday morning, that's when they're walking. They have to wait until next Sunday. No, but I'm saying the people who were who's going to say, hey, it's released too early, right? Oh, like, I, I, see, I see, I see. Yeah, I, I, I'm used to it coming out at 12. I'm like, okay, listen to it at 12, dude. <laughs> So on that basis, we should release it last twen- last Wednesday. I'm, t- I'm saying let's let's record it and send it out. <laughs> maybe we should maybe we should binge. Maybe we should record a whole season of Motley Fool Money in one day and just like release them all. Like knock yourselves out, people. <laughs> Listen to these. We'll see you next year. Um, we'll kind of do that a little bit. We're pre-recording some, but anyway, this is my last podcast before I go on leave. In fact, I am on leave already. By now, I'm in Central West New South Wales as. I was going to say we speak, at least as you're listening to this. Well, it depends on what time you're listening, as you said, Andrew. Maybe I'm back by now. If you're still catching up on your Motley Fool Monies and you're, you're a few weeks behind, Could be the year 2025, yeah. Who knows? Could be. In the year 2025. Isn't there a song about that? Yes, uh, 2025. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Uh, before we do, though, of course, Andrew is the managing director and founder of strawman.com. And I neglected to ask him on Friday, so I don't know the answer to this. What's strawman.com, Andrew? Strawman.com is a private online investing club. And if you type that address into your favorite browser, you'll find a out all about it. Online investment club. No, Set up work. a free account. You know, paper trade the market. Have a bit of fun. You'll get you'll get all of the content or some of the content that our private members have a, a month delayed. But yeah, you'll get a, you'll get a taste for it. There you go. Interesting. Strawman.com. Or, of course, you can go to the Motley Fool at fool.com.au. If I don't say that, I only give Andrew a plug, I get in trouble. So uh, there you go. You can you can and should do both. We are the best of frenemies. Uh, we're good mates. We've been mates for years. So uh, check that out. Uh, check out Strawman. Check out the Motley Fool. Uh, two of the very, 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 very best finance resources on the interwebs, which apparently is a thing and apparently will be a thing for a while. We were up to our technology on Friday, Andrew, just, you know, the internet and the whole thing. It is remarkable trying to explain to kids some of the technology you and I had to suffer through as 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 kids ourselves um, that the the stuff we just take for granted now is phenomenal right we've been doing this effectively glitch free seamless on zoom for well since you've been back with the podcast um, the whole Motley Fool Strawman businesses neither would exist in in the in the real world <laughs> the pre-internet age um, it's made a lot of things possible mate it's it's really revolutionized everything and it has done so kind of without really Anyone particularly benefiting or, or profiting from it? We've all benefited from it, but you know, it's kind of one of those those things where society tends to advance as technology does in in strange, new, and different ways. It's a tool. It's it's like uh, it's Better like when we started tool, using fossil fuels or yeah. we started electricity or yeah, uh, yeah it's it's the utility, right? Yeah. yeah, like I think when the, the history of humanity is written ten thousand years from now, mm. it'll just be one of the, like there's a chapter on when the internet there was pre-internet. And there was post-internet. It, yeah. It's that big a deal. Um, I can say that without any hyperbole, I think. Fascinating. What, what was the last big thing before the internet? Are we going back to the steam engine? Was there anything in between? Um, I think the industrial revolution. Mm. Yeah, I think power, uh, like electricity, um, yep. mass for, for, for the masses. Mm. I think mm. that, that, mm. Was just, that was just huge. There's a, there's a few key here. I mean, the invention of the PTY yeah. LTD company. You know, yeah, that, right. That was huge. The invention right. of money, man, that was massive. It's like, yeah. I, that doesn't that doesn't get enough uh, credit, I don't think. And what, as a global coordination mechanism, as a tool, yep. it's just yep. it's just so intrinsic to everything we do. It allows us to specialize. It allows us to coordinate. It allows us to transmit val- value across space mm. and time. It's huge. Mm. Trade, yeah. Um, yeah. There's there's agriculture. Like I think one of the one of the I was thinking mm. this the other day. I'm gonna forget the name. Chemists out there will remind me the Haber Bosch process. Uh, a couple of chemists worked out how to fix nitrogen from natural gas and make 
fertilizer. Probably right. the single most important invention in terms of increasing <laughs> the global population, yeah, hands right. down, like by an order of magnitude. But yeah, there was there was a there was a pre synthetic fertilizer age, mm-hmm. and then there was mm-hmm. after that. Yeah. You've got germ theory. Oh man, I could go. I love this stuff. You know, um, <laughs> maybe you know. it's not that big a deal then, mate. I mean, I mean, oh, in, it, all, in all, in, in in absolute terms, as much as we like it and love it, and you and I couldn't have our jobs without it. Uh, nothing much changed other than the way things are transmitted. Maybe, maybe in Every, that context, everything changed. Okay. Everything oh, it's changed. It's not agriculture. It's not money. It's not the wheel. It's not you know. It's just like well, we can no, we can look disagree. each other over the screen rather than rather than looking in. We and, and strong disagree. And we are we are. I think we, we look in the year twenty twenty two and go, oh, it's you know we you know we've now got this thing. Isn't this great? As if it's like we've kind of plateaued. This is the internet. Yeah, yeah. You know, our great grandkids, their experience with the internet mm-hmm. will just be so radically different. To, That's to almost what my point, would- though. Like, it, I wonder, I wonder if it's, I wonder if it actually is not just a linear thing rather than a genuine step change thing. That's almost my point. Is will it, if if in two hundred years will it be that will we differentiate nineteen eighty three from nineteen for nineteen ninety five uh, in the sense that you know like it's 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 the extension of mail. Or it's an extension of something else, like actually, or television. Like we don't, you know, th- those things are all kind of linear in one sense. Radio to TV to internet. Um, I don't know. Is, is it as big as agriculture, or is it just simply an enabler that kind of just kind of got added to what else was going on? Oh no, it's 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 huge. I mean, all of those other technologies. Well, I sort of like the day it was invented, the mm-hmm. next day was very different, like very similar, and so yeah. was a year later. Yeah. But it but it, it was it was the spark that lit the fire, right? It's. It's huge. <laughs> I'm very high conviction on this. I, Without I think- that, then let's let me let me, let me play. Oh, this is not the, not the Obama. We'll get back to that in a minute. I've just completely gone off on a tangent. Without that, though, it, it, for that to be true, and I'm not saying it's not true, um, that the counterfactual should have it that the economy hasn't grown as fast, society hasn't improved as much, uh, with, uh, or if it is to be if it is to be that effective, you know that that effectual, you know what I mean? Like it's the the, the okay. measure the measure is something sure. I'm not saying it's not. By the way, that that's almost mm-hmm. my question because mm-hmm. my my argument would be if we back this back and say, you know, it, it was a big deal because it changed X. Like you play agriculture, right, and synthetic fertilizers, you know, massive impact on population. In theory, massive impact on economic size and, and whatever else. If then it doesn't exist, if we've compounded you know economic growth at I don't know three percent for the last thirty years ish. Would that have been two or one or nothing or negative? Is is it that consequential? Uh, it, it may look. It's it, the counterfactuals are always hard. Yeah. Um, it. I would argue it's it's yes that it has helped accelerate growth, but it's not so much the the quantum of growth, but the the structure of the economy. Look at the biggest mm. companies in the world today. Mm. Mm-hmm. They didn't exist pre-internet. They couldn't have existed oh, pre-internet. Agreed. So, so before the internet, you know, the, the biggest, the um, you know, what, what have we got now? Apple, mm-hmm. um, Google, uh, or, or every, every, like the top 10 biggest companies in the world, I think like 85%, or 80%, you can't have 85%, 80%, you know, a, a technology internet focused companies. You know, what does that, what does that tell you? You know, in terms of the, uh, of, of the value created, in terms of, how long do you think you spend a day looking at a screen or some internet-enabled oh, device? No, I agree. It's just, but if it's, it's changed if it just the replaces something else. But if it just replaces something else, then it's not consequential. I mean, it's, it is if you're in if you're in the newspaper business, it's hugely consequential. Mm. If you're but 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 if it if it just simply replaces a book or a television screen or a newspaper, and it doesn't actually change anything else about how or why society works. I mean, again, my job is different. Your job is if we are internet people, right? But but outside that. I'm not, I'm not, so I'm not outside of like just, almost just everyone's job and everyone's daily life experience and all the wealth creation in the world, it's but not it, much that, different. That, but that's my argument, right? So, <laughs> but the counterfactual would have to be that the economy wouldn't have grown without it. If we're, if we're going to try and pin the value of the internet increment, the incremental value. I never to said society. the economy wouldn't grow without it. I just no, no, I just no, said, no, I didn't. I know. No, sorry, I wasn't talking words about. It. I'm agreeing with you, but I'm, my point is, if you know, I, I, I wonder if in 400 years we look back and go, didn't really like just change some stuff. It made a whole lot of. It made Facebook rich and mm. nine entertainment company poor. It made Twitter rich and you know well, the news agents put the news agents out of business. Mm. But did it consequentially change? Did, did it did it add to the economy meaningfully? I'm not sure. I don't know. I just don't know that we can, at this point at least, given the, given the trajectory of the of the economy to that point to 1995 and then after it, there's no there's no meaningful step change to my mind. I mean, it's changed a lot of stuff about how we've done things, but it's it's substituted rather than rather than. Potentially been additional, or not? 
Agree to disagree. I, 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 I don't think. I think it's very difficult to overstate the impact it's had on 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 our lives, on humanity. I know. And we'll I, continue no, I, to I agree do with all, so. I agree with all that. But my point is, I think it's. I think it's been largely substitutional rather than additive. Like you know, f- fertilizer is genuinely additive. Like it allowed it allowed massive improvements, or fire, or money, or you know, you could you could do things, you could trade things, you could improve standard of life, you could you know, the economy gets bigger, we have more people. Like those things are are meaningfully additive. I think. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure the internet is, is clearly meaningfully additive yet. I know it's annoying a whole lot of people listening who are like, you know, tech bros and want to want to do all that stuff. I'm not, I'm not even necessarily making the case strongly. I, I'm, I'm arguing kind of the trying to think through the hypothesis of what would it have to be to be that consequential. It hasn't meaningfully increased economic growth. It hasn't meaningfully increased standard of living. It hasn't meaningfully increased population or wealth. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know. I think I think it's a, I think it's a fair it's a fair question, even if the answer is uncertain or maybe it is certain in your mind, mm. but. If we actually thought about it and thought, how would we how would we quantify or how what how would we what what rules would we put on a question of what has what has had meaningful impact or improvements in our lives? We get to watch Netflix and we get to scroll Twitter and Facebook and we get to feel depressed about you know the perfect people on Instagram. Uh, if we took if we took it all away tomorrow, would the economy be much worse? Probably not. Would you want to be looking for a job? Yeah. So okay, I'm happy to say it's a good thing, but I don't know. Mm. Not convinced. Mm. No, I think it's going to be a very. We're not going to answer any questions if we continue along this thread. But I, yeah, I think we might just agree to disagree. We'll let Richard ask a question. He'll say, "Hi, Scott and Ram. With the increased commitment to net zero across the corporate world, I see carbon credits becoming increasingly important in ensuring companies meet their net zero targets. However, it appears the market for carbon credits is very disjointed, both in Australia and globally." It'd be very helpful if you could explain what the current market for carbon credits looks like and how a retail investor may invest in them. Full on, Richard, from Oof. the Gold Coast. Whoa. You're a, well, you're a carbon credit market expert, Andrew. What do you think? I'm not. I'm a really not an expert. In it, I, but I, <laughs> I, I know enough to know that it's it's complex. Okay. Um, I know enough Tell to know... What? I know it well. It, it's the accounting, you know, that, right. you know, how do you, how do you measure? How do you validate? Uh, what are the markets? I, I'm just I'm just so out of my area of, of competence that I'm I'm yeah. embarrassed to all, all, to say on. It. I mean, I will say that I think I think it is important to put mm. a price on it. Mm. You, you, if you're a if you're a free market person and a mm. um, and you feel as though that a that is a a tool again to come mm. back to our original mm. sort of conversation that <laughs> you can have really great outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I think ideologically, people who like think that think that it's a, mm. it's a tool that solves everything, and I'm not mm. I'm not going all that far. But it, but in terms of a tool that can help bring about a lot of positive change, I think putting a price on is a really important point because um, uh, nice. it, it gets rid of this externality. Uh, an ec- yeah. Economists will call it an externality. You know, if I yeah. if I can make. Um, I don't know what couches because <laughs> I'm looking at a couch right now. <laughs> if I look at a couch and I've got I've got my little factory on the edge of town and I'm just dumping yeah. all my waste into the river, it's like, <laughs> well, you know, it's sort of like I, I I get to I get to make better margins than otherwise would because I don't have to deal with any of the cleanup or the disposal mm, or any of this mm, kind of stuff. Mm. But is there a cost to that? Well, yeah, everyone's stuff. I put it into the public yeah. domain, so it's sort of it is important to to account for it all. How does how does you know, mm. w- one participate in that directly. I don't think you can as an individual. How how does yeah. uh, uh, is it is it um, well structured? No, I've heard a lot of criticisms <laughs> against it. Yeah. Um, is it politically charged and interfered with? Yes, in a massive <laughs> way. Uh, is it standardized yeah. across jurisdictions yeah. and yeah. markets? Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. It's, so uh, yeah. What do you think? I think Richard's right that carbon credits will become an increasingly important part of global commerce. I think that <laughs> so I'm 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 a I'm a I'm a capitalist, I'm a markets guy. I'm not a free markets guy. I'm a I'm a well regulated markets guy. Um, and I'm also a fan of not having markets where markets are silly. And my actual my my actual hope is there's no opportunity for retail investors to invest in carbon credits. Because what that would imply is there's some sort of mispricing that you can profit from. And if there's a mispricing you can profit from, then the market's not working properly. And so it's kind of one of those things where ownership interests are different, right? It's kind of like if, you, if, you're, investing, if you're investing in pork belly futures, you know, you're, 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 
trying to trade off and, and profit off the supply and inefficiencies of food delivery, right? And that's kind of, I don't, I don't love that as it's just sort of from a social perspective. And kind of carbon credits are the same as like, if I can buy carbon credits and make some money, then someone's not paying enough for them at some point or something. Something's but isn't that the, I, the, the, the trade market. Go on. Devil's advocate here. Yeah, um, please. Let me be clear. This is devil's advocate position. But wouldn't <laughs> the very participation of financial actors in that space be what helps improve the efficiency of the market and remove distortions. If there is an arbitrage opportunity to be made, mm. the exploitation of that brings it back to where it needs to be. So someone's profiting from it, but the, but the motive, their motivation is a financial one, but the outcome of them prosecuting that opportunity is to make for a more efficient, effective market. I think that's the, I think that's the economic orthodoxy. If that was true, the share market wouldn't be offering us ten percent a year anymore, and we've been doing it for two hundred years. So if we're waiting for if we're waiting for the stock market to prove out the idea that markets make things more efficient, I think we're missing something. <laughs> um, I, I have I have very 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 little sim- very little faith that that the existence of a capital market in carbon credits will somehow make the market more efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, because if it, if it was, then you, you've made the point before that by definition it would be arbitraged away. That that it would it would only exist for as long as it took. For the market to become efficient, then there'd be nothing left for the rest of us. Mm-hmm. And, and, may, and maybe you're right. Maybe maybe in some sort of transition that is that is true. And maybe there is some opportunity. There probably is. Richard's point is they are very disjointed. It's a small market. It's a really volatile market. Um, yeah, yeah, probably absolutely. There's probably some room for someone. And frankly, if there is, Macquarie Bank will be there right now doing exactly that because that's what they do best. Uh, Goldman Sachs will be around there somewhere too. Just follow, follow the money, Richard. Is probably the the easiest answer. Mm. So yeah, look, mate, I I hear you. Um, I'm far from convinced that in almost any market we've seen that actually happen. Um, and and the problem is there are people who are uh, well, let's just say incentivized to not solve those problems because that uh, means their 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 cash flows and their uh, uh, you know, the goose that laid the golden eggs would, would be killed and no one wants to kill the goose. So I don't know. I don't know. Um, Richard, I don't think there is a massive opportunity for retail investors just yet. Um, you, there are there are some analogs out there. Uh, Duxton Water does water rights, for example. Um, and again, if that was if that was to be arbitraged away properly and more efficient, we'd be good. Um, so it's kind of one of those things where you think, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, no, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, yes, I don't. There's no. There's no significant mechanism I'm. I'm familiar with. Nor, frankly, would I really know how to properly um, value them. Um, if your view is that the cost of carbon will go up over time, I agree with you. But in theory, if the government's setting the rules properly, there's no free lunch there because the companies will be paying and receiving those higher prices as they go up. So that just the the sheer increase of those prices would be captured in the issuing of the new permits um i can i say too ram i'm 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 a optimistic guy or a positive guy generally i'm a bit of a cynic sometimes too though and whenever governments and market participants let's call them to be euphemistic get together to design a market you figure someone's making a lot of money. You know, the energy market right now, we've seen exactly what's happened with that over what, the last The water months. rights market. Look at that right? debacle. And so, yeah. and so uh, really, if, if, if you put me, make me a benevolent dictator of, we'll make it the world this time. It was Australia a couple of weeks ago. I'll make it the world this time. Um, I, would, I would actually completely dismantle the carbon credit market and I'll put a carbon tax in place. Straight out. Because the, the, what I've just described about the carbon market, and you mentioned the water market and the, and the energy market I've talked about, they are just mechanisms for people to profit off being the middleman in between. Like it's it's designed to make money for people who can manage to get in between and make that money. And while I'm okay with the the capitalist uh, incentive, and we are a far far better society being a capitalist society than if we were anything else. Even though I would love to think in some sort of socialist utopia, it would all be wonderful. We'd share better and life would be wonderful. We know it doesn't work because incentives work. You mentioned incentives on Friday. Um, super super important. That that's that's the key, right? So. Um, capitalism allows for incentives to take place, but well-regulated markets or in t- really, really honestly, mate, I would tomorrow just cancel all carbon credits and I'll put a carbon tax in place mm. and I would never get elected because we know that it's been tried and people don't like it. Just mm. put a tax, like it doesn't, it, there's no need for this to be traded, right? Put a price on emissions, those emissions go down. You don't have to sell them to somebody else, just just put a price on them, easy. And you offset mm. it with a whole lot of stuff. Let's not go into the, what I would do policy-wise for the whole carbon market, but suffice it to say, I'm not, I'm far from convinced that there is. Hey, well, sorry, let me go back. There's, pro- there's almost certainly money to be made in a in a disjointed, inefficient market by somebody. Is it likely to be the retail investor? I'd be skeptical, so I, I probably would stay well away from it. I'm just not particularly 
um, I'm not particularly risk seeking in that way. Um, I don't think Richard's wrong. I think they'll be much, they'll be far, far more important. I'm just far from convinced there's money to be made by the retail investor in that process. Mm. But I could be wrong. I could be absolutely mm. wrong. Mm. Do you have any different yeah. thoughts? I, I look. I just. I, I'm. I'm happy to chat about it, but I'm. I'm just. I'm not the person to ask. I'm sorry. <laughs> not, let's go to Jerry. Know what let's you go. know and what you don't know is a is a good lesson. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. The. Um, mm. Yeah, circle of competence is important. Yep. Um, Jerry says, G'day, folks. In a foolish quest to patiently outperform the market, the strategy my mates and I are executing is to regularly dollar-cost average into broad-based ETFs. He says in brackets, mostly Vanguard's offerings and Aussie-listed investment companies like AFIC and Argo, the two Australian LICs. However, I have a feeling I may have over-diversified or doubled up holdings. For example, is owning holdings in Vanguard's, and he mentioned some codes, VEU, VAS, and VTS, the same as holding owning holdings in Vanguard's VGS? Now, VEU, I think, is that Europe? And I think VAS is Australia. VTS, I'm pretty sure, is the US total market. It is, yep. And he's saying, is that all just, I've got those three. Is it the same as buying the Vanguard Global in the first place? Equally, could you explain the advantages and disadvantages of the NASDAQ versus the Vanguard total US market, please? After mm. following your podcast for a couple of years now, I'm starting to think that reducing the amount of different ETFs and contributing to the big one might be a more effective and simple strategy for someone who just wants to dollar cost average. Thanks to you both for the ripping pod. Cheers and full on Jerry. Do you want to grab this one, mate, or do you want me to grab this one? Yeah, look, I, I, I just, again, we're at this. I love, I love the question. I love that it's mm-hmm. Jerry's thinking about it. it it's, yep. at, it's at the end. You're at the end of the spectrum now where it's, we're fine tuning. <laughs> Yeah, so, so it's sort of like the zero to one moment is is getting that person away, f- you know, making sure that they're spending less than they earn and they're putting yep. some of it in the market regularly. And that that is yep. the real shift that that more people need to make. Nicely. When you get to what Jerry's doing, it's kind of like oh, we can we can nerd around the the <laughs> the details and and you know it's sort of yeah, like yeah. I kind of feel six of one, half a dozen of the other. <laughs> like you're never yeah. going to look back in over a long period of time and go, oh, I could have done slightly better here. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. kind of so take all of what I'm about to say with a grain of salt because I actually don't have strong opinions either way. If you continue doing what you're doing, you're going to do fine. If yeah. you consolidate more towards a more broader approach. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, you know, one or uh, mm. uh, let me start again. A lower number of ETFs, but one that's that ones that are still very broad based. You're still going to do very well. Um, I probably err towards the latter just because it's easier. Mm. Um, yep. Uh, but I don't. I don't really feel that 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 strongly on it. I do think to some extent. I, I a lot of people in ETF land do. They take a sensible idea, but they take it a bit too far. Like, so they go, diversification is good. So I'm going to buy yeah. 20 ETFs. Like, dude, yeah. each ETF is massively diversified in and of itself. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Particularly when you're going the VTS, the VAS, the VGS, and the World Index. Well, the world's yeah. you know, you've kind of probably got 70% of the way there um, with with those three different geographies. So I mean, each each to their own. I don't have any mm-hmm. great criticism as to what you're doing, but I, I would prefer probably to go towards, you know, a, sm- a smaller number. Yep. Yep. You've done a nice job of summarizing the thoughts, Ram. So I'm going to just add a couple of thoughts. Um, so the doubling up thing is not going to hurt you, Jerry, in and of itself. Uh, because, for two reasons. One is because you're paying per trade anyway. And assume you're going to make the same regular investments and the same regular dollar amounts. Whether you do that every month in the same ETF or every second month in different ETFs, you're paying the same brokerage, investing mm. the same amount. Mm. And if so, let's let's take a hypothetical really quickly. If there was two things, VTS, which is the Vanguard total US market, and then there was the Page total US market, and they're exactly the same ETFs with exactly the same fees, there's two of them, putting half your money in one, half your money in the other would actually have exactly the same impact as putting all your money in one or the other. Because the, the fees are the same, the brokerage is the same, the returns are the same. You can split it across 100 ETFs or one, and the returns will be the same. Now, in saying that, you then don't need to do more than one. You just do the one and be done with it, which is Andrew's point. But I, wanna, I just want to make the point, doubling up doesn't really hurt you. It's not going to cost you anything to do. So, you know, some people say, well, I've got two of them, therefore I'm wasting money or, I'm, you know, or I've got twice as much exposure to one or the other. It's not really twice as much exposure because you've halved your money, right? So two halves or one whole is still the same thing. And so just it's worth thinking about that way. In terms of the in terms of the uh, markets, I mean they are, they are different, mate. So uh, you know the the VTS is the US total market, and 100 percent of your money is in the US market. In the Vanguard Global ETF, 60 percent of the money is in the US. Now you know that. 
Um, and so it would depend on how you were allocating between, for example, those ETFs. If you said, I got a third of my money in the Vanguard, uh, actually, I'll, 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 let me just make it easier. If I got half my money in the VTS, the, the, the US market, and half the money in the European market, is it the same as owning the global one? No, because the allocation proportions are different. The global one's got some Asian, it's got a little bit of uh, stuff outside Asia and Europe, not much though, uh, and it's 60% US. So if, you're, if your other ETF holdings are in the same proportion as the global ETF, then you'd be exactly doubling up. But if you buy the global one, which has 60% US exposure, you just need to know that's what you're getting. If you're happy with that, that's great. I, I own it, so I think it's great. But if, you were, if you're buying the European one and the Australian one and the American one because you wanted a third, a third, a third, then the Vanguard Global won't give you that. The proportion of the ownership is super different. Now, as Andrew said, I wouldn't worry about it. I'd happily buy the, I'd happily buy the global one and be done with it. But I just want you to know that the proportions are different. And so most of the same companies, probably in different proportions. I don't think you need to worry about it. But if you do or you want to think about it, that's a reason why you might own separate smaller ETFs so you can create your own um, mix, your own weightings as, as, as you see fit. Uh, on your, the, the one uh, thing I will make the point of, the global ETF that's listed in Australia is the Vanguard Developed World X Australia, which is important. So if you were to buy just the global, you, want, you aren't getting the entire globe. They deliberately exclude Australia on the basis that you're investing on the ASX, so you can add your own Australian stocks if you want. It's Vanguard's way of saying, here's everything else. Uh, so you can't buy VGS and get Australian stocks. It doesn't work that way. So you would need to, if you wanted to have some Australian and some global, work out a proportion between those two ETFs at least. You don't have to. You can just go purely global and be done with it. Just realize you're not getting any Australian stocks in that. Um, so that, that's, that's an important distinction. Otherwise, you know, again, it's just, it's just a waiting question across the, across the world. Uh, I... Personally, have for my young bloke, I've said this before, the Vanguard Global on one, and I've got the Australian Small Ordinaries rather than VAS, which is the ASX 300, because I wanted to avoid miners and banks. Uh, but I could have happily chosen those two and done in that proportion for the same reason. So just so you know, that's kind of the way you're doing it. Um, I've got the Global and I've got some Australian to, to make up the world uh, in everything else, and Australia is two separate ETFs. Anything on that, Ram, before I cover off the next bit? The other question was just the difference yeah, between NASDAQ and... That and so yeah, you remember I mean, that one? Well, it's you know it 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 yeah they're different indices with different mm. um, companies. So um, it's a question of which one you which set you prefer <laughs> mm. <laughs> to give to give the really obvious and frustrating answer. Um, I personally lean towards the Nasdaq because I'm I'm a, as I as our conversation at the start probably revealed I'm a I'm a I'm a tech guy. I like technology. I think. I think it's a, a lot of opportunity in that space for disruption and growth and good good things for shareholders. But again, we're we're fiddling here. You're, you're gonna you're gonna probably do pretty well either way. I think that's true. Um, I think it's a little more than fiddling actually between Nasdaq and the and the US total market. Can I say that? Because um, they're, they're relatively different indices. Like the the if you have a view that one will outperform the other, I, I actually would imagine over. a over a multi multi decade horizon, those two could diverge meaningfully. Uh, yes, you don't. You do, yeah, you have to agree. No, I no. Well, I mean, obviously, I I do agree. I, mm -hmm. I feel as like Nasdaq will be the better because that's where that's what the ETF I've got. Um, I just don't think you do badly on the other one. Um, Oh, it's hard. It's, it's it's you get right down the rabbit hole here. Um, you really do, and that's it. My, my because there'll be there'll be some people right now going, yeah, that might be true. But over the last year, the worst thing to hold was the Nasdaq. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. done far worse, you know. So again, you yeah. you, you got to be careful. So you when you when it, if we're talking about the next five years, probably not massively different. I don't, I don't know. I'm complete. It's a complete guess. I don't want to. Please don't hold me to this kind of stuff. I I, I would say over sort of ten year time horizon plus that. Yeah, I'd prefer to have mine in the more. Agile, innovative, disruptive, um, scalable, better unit economic, growth-oriented kind of businesses, and now businesses that are trading at much, much, much lower multiples than they were. This is, this is a really interesting time to sort of get involved. I, I would say in, in this kind of space, even if it goes mm. down further from here. Mm. Yeah, I yeah, that, that's kind of, so. I that's your point, uh, I suppose. Yeah, I I mean I think I, I'm going to go both on my mouth. I like the Nasdaq ETF. I own it. I also own. Uh, the VAS, uh, VGS, sorry, the Vanguard Global. So you know, I've got dogs in both fights. I don't own the VTS ETF. Um, and uh, my only issue with the NASDAQ ETF for someone who's dollar cost averaging into a passive fund is you're starting to make active bets at that point. 
it's a really broad index-based active bet. But you are saying, I am choosing this ETF because I think tech will outperform, which once you've said that, you've chosen to move into active land, which is completely fine. I've done the same thing myself. I'm not criticizing it in the slides. I pick stocks. I'm active, right? That's what we do. Um, I'm not, I think to some degree, if you are trying to be completely passive and just have representative diversification, then I personally would choose the Vanguard total market over the NASDAQ ETF because, you know, you don't, why would you just choose one exchange in one market focused largely on one industry? Well, you would if you thought that was going to be better than the rest, but then you are starting to move down that active path. And again, go for it. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying um, if you are buying the NASDAQ ETF, do it, know that you're making those choices. And I've made those choices. And I'm, that's the, you know, again, that's the path I'm going down, uh, as well as other things, other ETFs and other stocks. Um, so I tend, again, and, and it's hard, right? I agree with you, Ram. I think NASDAQ will outperform. So I don't want to, I don't want to discourage anyone from owning it. By the same token, if you said, look, my strategy is this, it's broad dollar cost averaging, global diversification, set and forget, the NASDAQ doesn't fit that bill. But if you said, mm. give me an index-based ETF that is likely to outperform or do really well or better than average, then I'm saying the NASDAQ ETF is great. So mm. maybe maybe it's, you've said a lot, Ram, know yourself, know your own strategy, know your own expectations, know what you're trying to achieve. If you decide you're trying to achieve outperformance with ETFs, then I think it, the NASDAQ will be a very good choice to at least consider. If you're saying, I just want to, you know, just want dollar cost average into a broad range of geographically representative ETFs, then the total market fits the bill better. That particular bill, that description, than does the NASDAQ ETF. Mm. Uh, Jerry finishes off by saying, P.S. Kogan, drink. <laughs> Thank you, Jerry. Very kind, kinder. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. One from Shane, mate. Hi, Scott and Andrew. Love the podcasts and the way you make investing easy to understand. We do our best. My question is this. When you own shares in a company and that company is part of a merger, the shares you own are then replaced by shares of the other company involved. So Shane's talking about being acquired. or it, we, don't, we don't have acquisition anymore. We don't have mergers these days because it's kind of for everybody. But Shane, Shane's saying if he's got shares, those shares go away because his company is acquired or replaced with something else. How does this affect your shares in regards to the share price, the length of ownership and capital gains tax, etc.? Look forward to your response. That's Shane from Perth. Oh, beautiful part of the world, Shane. Ram, what happens when you own some shares that are uh, acquired as part of a merger and you get other shares instead of cash? Depends on the nature of the merger. You know? <laughs> Sometimes, some well, some instances, they just get bought out for cash. Others, yep. it's a mixture of the two. Yep. Sometimes it'll be a one-for-one swap. Sometimes, it depends on what the ratio is. So it will, it will always be different. Um uh, but yeah, you will you will find yourself with with newly issued shares. Mm. So afterpay shareholders know this really well. Mm. Uh, they don't own afterpay shares anymore. They own block shares, and mm. I forget, forget the specifics of the deal. But there was yes, some ratio. The yep, that's right. Well, yep, exactly right. Yeah, some ratio that was involved. I and, would speculate uh, that's what Shane's talking about. I'm I'm going to guess there's a very good chance he's talking about the afterpay block deal. Yeah, so that's how it works. I mean. I do. This is a little bit of a bugbear of mine. Whenever the companies mm. release this, like these, all these announcements <laughs> by law, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. just for the love of God, guys, give me on the very <laughs> first page, spell it out to me like I'm 12 <laughs> years old. Because to find the the, the things that yeah. I really need to know are all in there, but yeah, just yeah. buried yeah. under so much stuff. Yeah, like, yeah. When do I get it? What is it? What's the rate? Just spell it out. For yeah, goodness yeah, yeah. sakes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it frustrates crazy, me a bit. I'll let you do the tax Plain one. English people. Um, yeah. So look, basically, if you are if you get shares instead of cash, then your shareholding continues in the new company. Your cost base is effectively. It's a little bit complicated, but it's effectively the cost base you acquired the original shares for just carries through. Um, so ATO just wants to know how much money did you put down, how much money did you get back. <laughs> That's really all that matters. Mm-hmm. How you divide it up, you have to divide it up to kind of keep track of it. But if you bought one ten dollar share and now all of a sudden you own, I don't know, three seven dollar shares. Um, the fact that you've got your money's gone from ten dollars to twenty one dollars is the point. You made eleven dollar profit. The ATO will say thank you. I'd like some tax on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's that's really from all intents and purposes. Again, as always, we're not tax accountants. Go and get advice. But your holding period continues from your original purchase date. Uh, your cost base is your original purchase cost base. Uh, it's just changed shape and structure. Uh, it's a bit complex, as Andrew said. If you get cash and shares, then you have to deal with each separately and at different times, which is kind of screwy. Um, but all intent, for all intents and purposes, if you're just swapping one lot of shares for another lot of shares, um, you just your capital gains tax event 
normally, generally, is bypassed until the time you sell those final shares and recognize that cash. And then the ATO just says, how much did you put down? How much did you get back? They don't really care how many shares you had. They don't really care what the share price per share was. They just want to know what gain did you make on the trade. I bought 15 shares of X. I sold 21 shares of Y. Who cares? I put $10 down. I got $21 back. Give me the tax, please, says the ATO. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's really that simple. Yeah. Anything else to add, mate? No, other than other than uh, yeah, it 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 could be a lot simpler than what it, it is. <laughs> it could indeed. Yeah. It could indeed. Um, High Scott and Ram says Matthew, as this is my third question I've submitted, I won't go over how much I love your podcast again. But let's just say I don't miss a single episode. Well, Matthew, that's kind. But if it is your third episode, you know that we actually do appreciate completely undeserved praise. And uh, don't feel like you can't do it just because it's your third question. Yeah, Scott doesn't read it out unless there's praise at the start. <laughs> allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> Seriously. I'm about to read one that hasn't got praise at the start. You'll be happy to know, Andrew. Okay, Thank you okay. for your character assassination. <laughs> As we approach a likely recession, says Matthew, in brackets, let's call it what it is, hey? Close bracket. There will be some companies looking to raise funds to either keep the lights on, expand, modify their operations, or even invest to thrive. As you know, there are several different methods public companies can use to get access to additional capital. They can sell more shares, they can borrow money, sell some assets, and I'm sure there are many other exotic methods that I am not aware of. What is your opinion on the different methods and which would you prefer companies to use? Oh, what a great now, question. There's a, there's a challenge from Matthew. From Matthew. Mm-hmm. For a bonus point, he says, try to answer the question, try to answer without using the expression by definition, this is a particular favourite of yours and should be printed on your T-shirt or tattooed on Ram's body somewhere. <laughs> by definition. Full on, Matthew. Uh, Matt, look, I'm happy to wear a T-shirt with by definition on it. I'm more amused by the fact that Ram may have to have it tattooed somewhere. So let's go with that as our, as our you choice. You know, sometimes you're oblivious towards something oh, until totally someone points are. it out and you go, oh my gosh, that's, yep, guilty. <laughs> I don't even know so if I still guilty. do it, but I used to say fundamentally a lot. Do I still say fundamentally a lot? Uh, no, no, I think I you may have raised yeah, for a while. I, yeah. I used to say fundamentally a lot. All okay. right. So by definite, no, okay. Uh let, Let's try and answer Matthew's question. Keeping that challenge, see if we can <laughs> each earn a bonus point, mate. Um, what is the best way for companies to raise capital as they go through the next six, 12 months or just in general? Well, um, uh, the best way is the way that ensures shareholders get the best return. <laughs> By definition, we, oh, here we go. So I would. Sorry, we're, Matthew. We're, I'm, we're still, I'm a, still on though. I'm still, I still haven't used the term, so I'm, I'm still a chance of a point. We're, we're a bit, we actually chatted about this a bit off air. Mm. I think the great thing about um, debt is that it's not forever. Debt, yeah. debt gets a bad rap. Yes, the debt. There's absolutely nothing wrong with when you do a capital raise, you dilute everyone. Right, and that's forever unless you are in a situation that you can buy those shares back in the future, and you'll probably never be buying them back in the quantities that you issued them. So, I think the judicious use of debt is actually a really good thing, and I actually think it's a really good thing when interest rates are really low. It's all about the cost of capital. Yeah, that's so. If I was studying for my CPA, that's what I would exactly say is it depends on the what is the lowest cost of capital that I that I can that I can achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, so. When let's say let's take it in the context that Matthew was talking about, which, which is the the recessionary context, mm-hmm. and I think I'm kind of leaning that way too. I think there's probably a good chance of it. Yep. Well, you're probably the, the a capital raise is less attractive in that scenario because you're probably having to issue more shares at a point where your shares are depressed or at a much lower multiple. Mm-hmm. So the uh, go the cost of capital is going to be much much higher. Mm-hmm. Um, again, though, you'll have to contrast that at the time against what interest rates are and what kind of funding that you you can get and what what the terms of that of that funding agreement are. Um, the good thing about just to flip it on the other side, the good thing about the 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 capital raise is that you know there's no there's no liability there. Right, so so there's no one there to sort of call in your debt when you can least <laughs> afford to pay it back, yeah. or yep. all the rest of it. So um, there are pros and cons with each side. I just think that that debt does get a bad rap sometimes. Sometimes it's a really really good thing. Here's a good example. Two good examples: Sydney airports and Transurban, mm-hmm. squillions of dollars worth of debt. You know, so if you if you were to look at the usual lens, and people will sort of have lines in the sand or you should avoid companies with debt to equity mm. more than 80% yeah, or something yeah. like that. It's actually a pretty good rule of thumb. Yeah. Um, 
but it, it, it depends, right? Is it something else I should probably get tattooed on my forehead? Is it, it depends. <laughs> um, because these are companies that have lots of hard assets that they can sell. They're also companies that have very, 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 very reliable earnings. They're also companies that can secure really, really favorable um, terms on their debt. So for them, it's kind of like, well, it's the, if, if it was a if it was a retailer, a discretionary retailer, um, you, you can't compare one with the other. It's an apples with oranges type mm, comparison. Mm, mm, mm. So it will depend on the nature of the business as well. Can they? Can they? Can what? What collateral can they post? How reliable are their cash flows? Et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot to sort of dig into there. But yeah, I, I think, I don't know. I think I covered the main parts. Is there something I missed? No, I think you covered the main parts well, mate. Um, I I love the point you make about debt. And that's one of my, we, we've said many times, by definition, no, I'm kidding, um, that as we get older, we are less, I think we might have said it in some future episodes because we're recording out a sequence, which is throwing both Anne and I for six, by the way. Can, can I tell you if, you, if you're enjoying this podcast and you appreciate the work we're doing, nothing is harder than trying to pre-record some, record some in live and try to remember what you said when. So to the extent we've repeated ourselves over the next couple of weeks, we apologize in advance. Um, the Yeah, so I used to be really anti-debt, right? Because... Yeah, Buffett has said, the Buffett quote, obligatory Buffett quote, debt is the only way a smart guy can go broke. Or maybe he said leverage, but same thing, right? Mm. Uh, if you've got to pay something back to someone, you haven't got the funds, you can go broke. Mm. If you've raised capital, you never have to pay it back. And so it gives you a whole lot more leeway, a whole lot more opportunity. And so my view is always really strongly exactly that. Mm. You know, to stay away from debt, debt, debt's risky. It is. Debt is riskier than equity by definition. It absolutely increases the chances you go broke. That's unavoidable, right? As many people say, I will, I will avoid that at all costs. That's fine too. But if you, if you think about it, as Andrew has explained, um, equity is forever. You know, Webjet, I own shares. They doubled the share count almost during the COVID crash. And they've still got double the shares now. And when, the, when, when business improves, when profit gets back to normal levels, they'll have to share that profit amongst twice as many shareholders. Right? So now, in a different environment, they couldn't have got debt, by the way. No one was going to lend them any money. So part of the, Andrew's, the other part of Andrew's answer was, you know, whatever's best for long-term shareholder value. The other one is whatever keeps you afloat, <laughs> you know, yes. which, is, which is the yeah. same thing sometimes, right? Yeah. Literally, whatever keeps you afloat. So, but if they could have borrowed that money and then they had to pay it back, let's say by 2025, let's pick a year. In 2026, and, and assuming the business, and lots of assumptions here, but assuming the business gets back to normal stays there, in 2025, I get half the money I would have got as a shareholder. But in 2026, when they paid that money back, I get, again, back to, I get, I get double the, 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 the ownership, double the profit, double the dividends, whatever it is, because they paid the money off and I own the same portion I used to. I own a very small portion, so it's not that big, but you know what I mean? If I owned, let's, just, let's have some fun with it. If I own 10% of Webjet, now I only own 5%. And when it earns the same amount of money, I'm only eligible for half of the value of that that I would have previously been now. And probably forever, until and unless, and they can buy shares back, by the way, so they can still affect the same uh, outcome as paying the debt off. They could sell, buy the shares back, buy back half of them, and I could get the money back. So it could work that way. Uh, but most companies don't. Very, very, very rarely do you see them say, hey, we, we issued these shares, we made all this money, now we're going to buy the shares back to, get to, to make our shareholders whole again. They just don't because management always got something else that they can do with the money or mm. the shares have gone up. It's not, no, not valuable to do so, which is fine, except you, you don't get a chance to buy back those shares at that previous point. So I am with Andrew 100%. I would absolutely like a sensible, and this is the other problem, I would like a sensible, conservatively managed, thoughtful, shareholder-friendly, long-term focused manager to borrow money nine times out of 10 if they could do it safely, securely, without jeopardizing the company and, and borrow the money at good rates mm. because it gets paid back at some point and then we're off to the races. Now, I'm not going to... It makes your return on, it makes your return on equity a lot better too if you've done that, right? Yes, true. And I, yes, that's true. I don't want to. I don't offend any particular CEOs listening, but let's just say that most. There's no CEOs listening. Where you're safe. There is that. Most most ASX CEOs aren't that. They don't have the capital allocation smarts. They're not long term focused enough. They're not thinking well enough about the future of the business. They can't resist the urge to put money into another takeover deal, another buy up, another something, 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 something. Um, so it's all of those things that kind of roll together. Um, so here's the. I prefer debt nine times out of 10 with a good manager. I prefer equity nine times out of 10 with a crap manager because mm. <laughs> they can't blow the thing up. And this is why it's hard. It's so hard. 
Um, it's a reminder, by the way, to try and buy business with good management because that removes part of the problem. Uh, but you never ever want someone to jeopardize the business trying to be too clever, right? If someone says, I borrowed all this money to try and keep the cost of capital low, oops, I made a mistake, we went broke. You know, it's one of those small probability outcomes, but really consequential uh, size of the of the impact if they get it wrong. So yeah, there's, there's no single option, but generally, uh, by the way, Buffett's talked about, he used equity a couple of times to make acquisitions. And I'm pretty sure both those times he said it was a massive mistake because the value, dollar value of the acquisition has grown in in with the share price because that's the Berkshire has where the share price has gone up. The amount he gave away for those acquisitions weren't justified by the returns of the deal either. And that's the other thing, right? Again, almost kind of um, <laughs> because people are people and because CEOs make mistakes, uh, the chance that they overpay is at least uh, ring-fenced if they use debt because they'll pay the debt back and then it's gone. The bank makes some money. The acquisition might have been bad. At least you didn't give away half the company or a third of the company or a quarter of the company to do the deal, uh, which could also cost you money. Anything else that uh, comes up as I answer that question, mate? Well, it's the, the, yes, there's one more thing, um, oh, which is actually super important. It's, well, what's the money for? Whether it's equity raised <laughs> yeah, or debt, what's the money for? <laughs> Neither is probably the best answer some of the time, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So there's, the old stat is that uh, two-thirds of uh, acquisitions yeah. don't increase shareholder wealth. Yeah. So it's actually, and this is roughly speaking, this study that's a bit old, but about one-third of acquisitions destroy value, one-third don't do anything. And, yeah. and one third create value. So statistically, <laughs> when you see a company talking about acquisitions and all the yeah. synergies and extra growth, it's just like, well, there's only really a 33% chance it's going to do anything for you. Um, so yeah. it's, it's more about you, you, you want whatever your cost of capital is, you want a greater return from that. Mm. And a lot of times, because humans are humans yeah. are humans, yep. there's empire building and there's all other kinds of metrics that sort of come into it that aren't, aren't really looked at through the, the hard-nosed lens of, of you know, what's mm. the internal rate of return I'm going to get on this money versus, mm. versus what I'm going to, it's going to cost me. You know, so it's sort of, it's, I think that is the more, um, not, more not more or less useful, but it, it's, you, 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 you have to ask mm. that question at the same, when you say, okay, we need money, what's the best way to, to raise it? Absolute yeah. math, you know, absolutely right. You need, to, you need to consider that. But what are you using the money for? Mm. What are you using the money for? It's the same calculus too in terms of dividends, right? So if you're not paying out every last cent in free cash flows, mm. well, why? Yeah. I'm not right. saying you should. I'm just yeah. saying you need to have a good yeah. reason yeah. why you're not. Yeah. yeah. And uh, as we've said before, if you're if you're getting if you if you're a company that's in a really nice position, you've got the opportunity to invest that and make mm -hmm. a really great return. Keep the damn money. I don't want it. <laughs> you know, like make me more yeah. money. Keep doing what you're going to yes. do. Um, so yeah, which is Buffett's argument for not for not uh, taking not paying dividends. It's like I'm, I'm going to keep the money for you. I'll, I'll compound it if you don't like it. Sell your shares, but otherwise, I I think I'd like to keep compounding that money. And yep. most of us should say thank you very much, Mr. Buffett. May you live to 162. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, absolutely. But otherwise, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Nicely put, mate. I like it a lot. One from Renee. This is a different one. He says, "She says hi, Scott and Andrew. I'm a 30 year old, 31 year old mum who is looking to totally change profession as I enter the workforce after being a stay at home mum for a few years. Awesome. I plan to pivot into the property investing slash advisory space." and do the related training in this area. But I also like a well-rounded base knowledge of the finance industry across the board and to fill any gaps in my understanding of financial mechanics. I love listening to the podcast. Thank you. Even though much of it flies above my head. Sorry, Renee. Um, by the way, if it ever does, let us know. Um, it's the old no, no question, a stupid question. If we say stuff that we're not being clear about, ask us the question because that means we're not explaining ourselves very well. Mm. Um, I've tossed around the idea, she says, of studying a graduate certificate of finance and perhaps even further than this, she says, to get a broad understanding. So my question is, where do you recommend someone starts to get a great base understanding of micro and macroeconomics, the share market, etc., whether it be university level study or other short courses? Thanks so much, Renee. What do you reckon, mate? Uh, yeah, this one comes. Actually, let up me let me ask you. Let me reflect on your own journey. You, you're a science grad, right? Yeah. So you've you've and and you kind of lucked into a job. You've talked about that before. Yeah. But you you had to go from from someone who you probably knew about the stock market and stuff, but you didn't exactly you weren't exactly doing you know kind of masters economics or commerce at uni. Oh, I knew what, what, I didn't I didn't of, know my proverbial from my elbow. Um, right. No. So how, how did you how did you make that transition to learn enough to now be running strawman.com very successfully and opining with me on a podcast twice a week? <laughs> I think it's I think it's just 
being curious and reading and learning and questioning and not being afraid to ask the dumb mm. questions. And there's lots of questions that feel dumb and like no yep. one likes to sort of ask it. And then <laughs> yeah. people go, Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. How could you not know that? How did yeah. you what? Yeah. I, I, I'm I'm lucky and I've got. <laughs> I don't care. So I ask dumb questions yeah. all the time, embarrass yeah. myself. I don't care. I just want to know, you know, and, and, yeah. and I, I feel as though that's a re- too many of us um, mm-hmm. are reluctant to do it because we're worried what it, what people might think of us. And yeah. it's one of the benefits of getting older. You stop caring less and less of what others <laughs> think of you. And, yeah. and I'm sure I've said dumb things on this podcast before too, that if I was <laughs> listening back on, I would, I would cringe, but yeah, um, mm-hmm. there, there's no straight, there's no straight line. Um, I would say, honestly, some of the best investors I know don't come from the traditional background. Yeah. I and it's say. actually, it, it, not that it's, and that, you've got to be careful. That, that's not to sort of say those that do aren't good. It, mm-hmm. it's, it's just that it's not the most important thing. The most important mm-hmm. thing is having someone who's, who is wired in the kind of way where they are curious, questioning, keen readers, mm-hmm. wanting to learn, Mm-hmm. wanting to surround themselves. You just, it's a process of osmosis that mm-hmm. there's no fast tracking on. You just suck yeah, it up yeah. and suck it up and say, and I like, so I've been working in the industry for 20 something years. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I would say even after the first, if I could meet my myself after being 10 years in the industry today, I'd be, mm-hmm. I'd be embarrassed. Like, oh my God, <laughs> I, you know, I knew nothing. And that was after yeah. 10 years, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure in another 10 years, I'll look back at myself today and go, oh, you, you bless your little <laughs> cotton socks. <laughs> you didn't know anything. That's right. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's a great question. It's mm-hmm. one we get, we get a it's variety. We get, we get a form of this question fairly yeah. often. Yeah. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't really have a good answer because, and then I meet other people who have been doing it for years and years and years and you talk to them and they came at a completely, they had a completely different journey and pathway, but absolutely just as valid and, and um and ended up in a really good space as a result of that. So mm-hmm. it's a hard one, Renee. The, the other thing is it, it depends on, there's two parts of it here. There is, because she said that it's a career choice here. Mm-hmm. So I would, there, there are, unfortunately there are things you need to know because you need to know <laughs> it to pass the test to get the certificate <laughs> to, so do, to do the job. Yeah, yeah, so you need yeah. to know all that stuff. And I would say yeah. a lot of that stuff is absolute rubbish. It's absolute mm-hmm. rubbish and you know, yeah. but but you need to know it because you need to yep. pass the exam to get the, the yep. credential um, and then there's the other part of it which is I just want to learn it because it's not a it's not mm. a um, chore it's just I'm just mm. curious how does that work and yeah and, and so you kind of got to do both in, in parallel do the bare minimum you need to to get the get the rubber stamp to say that you mm. can do that mm. as a job mm. and mm. then and then let your curiosity guide you I, I suppose and, and, and I know I've sort of said this a few times a, a lot lately, but just always go back to first principles. Too often in, this was the thing that was the mind blow for me when I first started out, particularly coming from science, was that you, you'd, you'd land in this industry and things were sort of done a certain way and you go, oh, that's really, why is that? And the answer was, because <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's how we do it. So we've done things, yeah, yeah. Not, not a good answer, but why have we done it? <laughs> Mate, we've just always done it that way. It's just how it is. Yeah. Yeah. But why is it how you're, you're in our industry in particular? You come up against a lot of that stuff. Don't be afraid to go back to first principles. And if, if someone can't, I love that. I think it was an Einstein quote. If you if you can't explain it to a twelve year old, you're a fraud. Frankly, yeah, right. Um, you know, abs- there is there is a good use for jargon because it allows it's a shortcut in language between people who have sort of understood things. It's just I can throw a word. If you and I are talking, I can throw a certain word in that. Might go off a lot of other other people's head, but you and I exactly know what we're talking about. So it's a really- inflation, for example. Or yeah, right. It's, it's like you know, it's, it, it describes it a phenomenon that you don't have to start and say, "What if we had a situation where?" Da, 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 you said, "What if it was stagflation?" Oh, okay, yep. got that cool. Nice, nice, yep. handy shortcut between yep. between people who've sort of been in the, the game for a little while. Yep. But but it, it, I would like to think that if I said, well, "Actually, what do you mean by that?" You go, "Oh, well, mm. it means this." Oh, why is that bad? Well, because of that. And and you just yeah, keep going. Yeah. You've got to do what your annoying seven year old does. <laughs> <laughs> which is go, but why, but yeah. why, but yeah. why? And just, just yeah. keep doing it and you'll drive people crazy, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's, it's a good skill to have. And, 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 and um, just keep digging around. This is the great thing about these days, as opposed to 20 years ago, there's so much online. Well, good and bad. There's so much online that's just free and there's such great quality content. There's also so yeah. much online that's bad and, and you sort of have to filter through all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. I've ranted for a while there, mate. What do, what do you think? No, it's a really good summary, mate. Um, so, Renee, I think I think Andrew's point about you know what you need to know versus what's worth knowing are different things, mm. <laughs> and that's some, that's so true in life. Um, he and I have done some uh, qualifications and uh, tests and and 
accreditations to show that we can do what we do. And some of the answers there are the answers I would not in a hundred years give a, a member or someone who asked a question on the podcast. But the right answer to the question is the right answer to the question on the test. So we tick the right box, right? Uh, it's worth knowing. It's not very useful. And I wouldn't use it to invest or to, uh, to advise other people to invest, for example. So that's, that's, a, that's an example. There's lots of that across the industry. I say, so you know what I would do if it was me, Renee? I am increasingly, if you can find a very good, this is going to sound terrible, but stick with me, a very good accounting, accounting graduate certificate, that's what I would do. If you don't have a background, particularly in finance, uh, the language of business, I know it's a cliche, but knowing accounting is super, 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 super useful. It can be a little bit dry. And if you hate it, you can't get into it, then so be it. Um, but if you can do an accounting, uh, you say great. You said graduate certificate, so I assume you've probably you've graduated with something. And if it's finance, then great. Uh, you may not need to, but if you haven't, um, I would do that absolutely. Um, and with that, you can probably do a macroeconomics and a microeconomics uh, subject as well. And I think you know, I don't I don't love book learning, and I would never say to be a good finance person, financial advisor or anything else, you need to have a, a, a university qualification in accounting. It's not that it makes you a better advisor. So much the advice stuff is actually nuance and, and art rather than pure maths. But the if you want to understand, you've talked about macro and micro, you talk about markets, you talk about uh, business. Honestly, if you did an eight-subject graduate certificate and you did a couple of accounting, maybe three or four accounting subjects, you do macroeconomics, microeconomics. I would do Australian economic history personally. I've done that. It was my favorite university subject because it's just fascinating. It tells you so much about what we've been through and how we got here. Um, that's super useful. I would, I would highly recommend that to anybody. Just to give you a really nice grounding, you can kind of put things in boxes. And Andrew's talking about the, the, the jargon, like the mental models that you get from, from something like that are super, super useful in my opinion. Mm. I said that's someone who I did commerce as a undergrad, which is fine. It was good. Uh, I did a graduate diploma in accounting, which I really valued. Um, part of it was just kind of a, a bit of a catch-up. I'd done some accounting subjects at uni, uh, but really, really useful for me. Um, so I, if you want to kind of you know get that base, I would, I would absolutely do that. In terms of the financial markets themselves, I don't have a good answer for you um, other than read and listen a lot uh, to those different things. Um, ask the dumb questions, use Google. Google's your friend. Um, I will say to Andrew's point, I've said before on the podcast, I'll say one more time, Andrew was very, very good at asking the dumb question. You know, really, no, no, I mean that really, I mean that really. No, I mean, Andrew I mean, asked really, a lot of dumb exactly. questions. No, no, mate, but when we were working together a million years ago, right, everyone would nod their heads if you're supposed to know stuff and everyone would be like, hey, can I just ask? And insert, insert, it's not a dumb question, right, but it's the question that everyone else, no one else wanted to ask because they would want to look dumb. That's the difference, right? There are no dumb questions. They're just questions that people don't ask because they don't want to feel dumb. And they're very different things. I, I, I'm not saying that's cliche. No dumb question is a cliche, but it's true, right? Because mm. if it advances your knowledge, and by the way, more than a few times, they'd ask the question, you see everyone go, oh, when the answer was given, like, I didn't know that. I just didn't want to ask. Mm. Um, and there is such, it is such a superpower to actually ask those questions without needing to worry about how other people are perceiving you or, or need to look like the smartest person in the room because there's no value in that. It's all, it's all pride. It's all ego, right? No one cares. Mm. Um, didn't impact Andrew's career positively or negatively because he asked a question that helped him actually know more. Probably actually made him better at his job, quite honestly. He's better at, me, better at it than me. I've, I've succumbed to that. I won't ask because I shouldn't. I, should, I probably should know that. I try and remember to look, look it up later and see if I can kind of catch up, but I won't ask it in public because then I'd have to show that I didn't know something and that might, you know, super, super, super useful. I hope that's helpful, Ray. Um, good on you for changing careers. Love it. Um, I hope it goes really well after being a stay-at-home mum. It's going to be a, a culture shock, I'm sure, to get back into the workforce. Uh, but uh, we need more great people in, in finance. So uh, good luck to you. I hope it, hope it goes really, really well. Mate, we've, we've probably, uh, I think, filled our quota for today, particularly if we're a little bit long on Friday. Plus, I've got to go. I've, I'm off to the wobble yonder for a few weeks. But, dear listener, we are leaving you in very good hands. I hate to admit it, but there might possibly maybe be a Bitcoin episode soon, and I apologize yeah. in advance for that. Um, that was so much fun recording that. Yeah, for one of us. Uh, I'm kidding. I, I did actually make a... Well, Andrew, let, let's let's just say I did I did make a statement at the end that I didn't expect to make. I didn't you'll expect have to you to make to, it either. I know. You'll have to listen to find out what that statement is. I'm not going to give it away. Uh, you'll have to just see see what I did say, whether you think that was a, a reasonable and frankly good idea. Uh, but check check out the Bitcoin episode when it comes up. I actually think that is our next Friday episode. After that, some mailbag episodes. We also deep dive into a couple of companies that we like and I think we both own, um, as in each of us owns the one we talk about. Uh, it gives us a chance to talk about the business, why we like it, but also hopefully as a working model of 
the way we think about analyzed companies. Andrew, I ask each other some questions for clarity and to kind of challenge and understand better. Uh, so really, really useful, hopefully, conversation uh, not the only business that we would we would recommend you uh recommend well you it's actually not a, let me, episode, let me so, sorry to jump in it's it's absolutely close. not a recommendation in any way shape go. or form it was more about go. hey we always talk about theory <laughs> yeah. let's 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 try and put it in practice a little bit nice, with, with some companies that we own please don't nice buy it, the one i'm talking about <laughs> i don't need the grief don't buy it <laughs> don't buy it there you go. Feels like a lot of backpedaling, but we'll go from there. Uh, in any case, we hope you enjoy the next three weeks with episodes. Please keep sending us your questions, info at fool.com.au. Hit and drop on Twitter while I'm gone at sage underscore Simeon at strawman invest. I'll be around, so hit me up too. And by the way, if you want to see some photos from the road, I'm going to spam people with travel photos. So at TMF Scott P on Twitter or Insta uh, or facebook.com slash Scott Phillips money. I'll post some up there. If you're enjoying them, great. If you're not, my apologies in advance. Um, people like to see some stuff like that. So I'm going to share as, as we go. And I, I dare say there'll be some business observations along the line because I just can't help myself. Um, I say I'm going on holidays. Don't tell the boss, but uh, I kind of enjoy my job as well. So it's not like I'm escaping for anything really serious or stressful. Uh, I love what I do, but it's always lovely to get out. I'm going to spend some time in country New South Wales and Southwest Queensland. So if that's your thing, then make sure you give me a follow. But until we meet again, which won't be that far away, Full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.